Hello, I'm Sai, and I'd like to invite you into the Library of Impossible Things. The library is a place where I collect items that Doctor Who fans love, and I collect their stories too. So today I am joined by the extraordinary podcaster, because <laughs> uh, I can pay him all the compliments now and he's just going to take them because this is mine. <laughs> one of my best friends and wonderful Doctor Who fan, it's Joe Ford. Hello, Joe. Hello. I have to say, you've got a lovely voice for doing that intro there, you know. Ah, so all the years of storytelling I've done. It reminds me of the first episode of this one that I listened to at work. I thought to myself, how is he going to keep me bewitched for an hour listening to you know just stories about his life? I thought, hang on. No, he's always telling me stories about his life anyway. I'm used to this, you know. <laughs> Well, you invented that, my subgenre. <laughs> of what? Tales of Youth. <laughs> and now I've got to do it. Oh, God. <laughs> exactly. So this is about everyone's tales of youth. <laughs> mm. uh, well, as I said to you before we even came on to this, this is the one thing I don't do on my podcast. I do talk about my life and I talk about it in a very gratuitous and facetious way. I, I only every now and again will I talk about sort of pertinent moments in my life and things like that if, if it's relevant. So this is virgin territory for me. Well, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, you're always going to take my chair anyway. <laughs> in some way, shape mm-hmm. or form. Well, you know, I'm always here for something new with you, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, you never fail to disappoint me. (laughs) Well, fine. Thank you very much. (laughs) No, I meant that as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Did I come out as an insult? Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I'm so sorry. You. <laughs> well, you, you just said I was one of your bestest friends. I mean, you're one of mine. I wouldn't sit here insulting you on your own podcast like you do on mine. <laughs> I didn't. To be fair, I didn't do that on the first one, so we're okay. That's that bloody Fraser and he? he's getting terrible at insulting yes. both of us. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, sorry, we're off track already. Well, that didn't take long, did it? So, um. So the idea of the library is to bring an item that symbolises your fandom or your um, love of Doctor Who. So what have you got for us, Joe? Can I say what I was initially going to bring? Of course. Well, I was initially was going to bring the VHS box set of Trial of a Time Lord that came out in 1993. That fabulous TARDIS tin. I had Tom Baker at the bottom of mine. And it was to... And I will go into this in a, in a bit... It was to symbolise a really tough point in my life where Doctor Who came in and just for the time I was watching it made it all better. But I've told that story on loads of podcasts now and I thought, no, I want to give him something new. And actually, there is something that has superseded that in terms of importance. And that is a collective group of people that I call the Ham Fam. And that is what I would like to bring to the Library of Impossible Things because it's the culmination of my sort of Doctor Who journey, and uh, it really it, it's it exemplifies everything everything I love about Doctor Who is there within the collection of people that have appeared on and that have. Um, listened to and given feedback to and just been part of a community for my podcast so 
yeah that's that's what i'd like to talk about well or, or at least that's what i would like to sort of lead towards as my conclusion absolutely well i think that's a glorious thing to bring i mean and it's very much yours and you brought that exactly i wanted something so, that was uniquely me yeah absolutely so although it isn't uniquely me because it's just a load of people <laughs> so so i'm gonna put myself in the library yeah exactly <laughs> i have to build an extension now for everyone to be in i suppose fraser will have to go in as well well, yeah, there's always a downside, isn't there? Mm. <laughs> and he did bring the Trial of a Time Lord Tin himself, so you wouldn't yeah. want to copy him. No, bastard. <laughs> I mean, I would have done. I'd try to trump him, but but uh, you know that that is something that is something I would like to talk to as we go through this. Mm-hmm. Talk about absolutely. Well, I'm, we'll we'll definitely be getting into how you got podcasting and everything else. We ought to begin with, where did it all begin for you, Joe? Uh, so, Paul Quinn, who I very recently got back in touch with in a big way, uh, I actually just met his family just before Christmas. He was the he was a very very young man, two years older than me. I think I think I get the ages all a bit muddled. I think I was five and he was seven. And he lived two doors down to me in Crawley, in Furnace Green. And I used to go round his house. I used to bang on his gate. And they were an Irish Catholic family. His mum was called Bridie. I couldn't say Bridie, so I used to call her Friday. And I'd be there <laughs> banging on the gate going, Friday, let me in, Friday. It's Doctor Who time, you know. And what would happen is, is um, Paul had, I think he had... Uh, it was either a program guide or it was something that had synopsis of Doctor Who stories in them. And he used to read those to me. And really exciting stories would come alive in a couple of paragraphs. And he had, he had a flair for the dramatic, Paul, even at seven years old. And he was so quite... I heard his podcasting, so... Yeah, <laughs> he was a smart guy. You can see he was smart young as well. Mm-hmm. He was a voracious reader at seven, you know. And, um, yeah, so he would literally read me out the synopsis. I think we went through the whole of this guide, one story at a time. And it just, it wasn't through watching it. It was through hearing him talk about it and bring bring the plots to life himself. That this whole world of storytelling, it felt so vast. Like, you know, like you think about it now. I mean, how many Doctor Who stories would there have been at that point? Maybe... 150 something something like that, like that. Yeah. yeah 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 which you know to a young man of that age you just cannot even comprehend um and just just the i remember him telling me about mind warp and about perry dying at the end i vividly remember him talking about that and how it was all the time lords and they'd taken the doctor out of time and you can see me sitting there with mopsy the bunny yeah the bunny called mopsy in my lap going oh you know like absolutely <laughs> appalled yeah and so what happened then was we used to play Doctor Who out in his garden as well. And uh, I've taken him to task about this this year. He used to tie me to a chair a lot. I was the <laughs> companion, right? And he'd get rope and tie me to the bloody chair. Wow. Well, oh, I wonder what his mum thought we were up to out there. And <laughs> he was always the villain and the doctor. And I was the assistant in peril, obviously, because I was two years younger. And But... He used to take like ideas from Doctor Who stories, Nightmare of Eden and Time Flight and all of this, 
and he would put them into these Doctor Who stories. So we 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 played Doctor Who before I watched them as well. Um, so I have Paul to thank for everything that Doctor Who has given me since because he stimulated my imagination in a way. And wow, I don't think it's been stimulated ever since. Wow, I, that's that's an incredible start, really. There aren't many. There are people who find it through the books, like Stephen B. and 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 other people. But I don't think there's anyone who has I've ever come across who has come to it from a synopsis of stories being read to them by their best friend. I was basically Doctor Who groomed. Yeah, yeah you were indoctrinated, <laughs> weren't you? And tied up as well. You know what? I still like being tied up to this day. <laughs> <laughs> I fear Paul may have started something you. there. <laughs> so, how was it then to finally see it on TV, this show that you knew lots about. When did the first VHSs start coming out? That would have been, um, I mean, it was around 85 that the first one, or 83, I think, the first ones were released, but they came into general circulation around 1986, I think, when they came down to 10 quid each. So... Paul bought the first couple when they were some absurd price. What are they, like 80 quid? No, 40 quid or something? Well, yeah, something like that. 39 yeah. 99 You know, the dreadful um, Revenge of the Cyberman cover with the wrong Cyberman on it. And yeah. He'd always tell me all the flaws. He goes, that's, that's the wrong Doctor and that's the wrong Cyberman, you know. <laughs> um, and we would watch those stories together and to death as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, those early releases, we watched The Time Warrior, Death to the Daleks, um pyramids of mars i think was that early terror of the Zygons. Yeah. all of those stories so i know those stories inside out and back to front and to this day if you try and put those stories on with cliffhangers in them it feels completely That's alien like, to me revenge of the cybermen feels wrong with pyramids is the one that gets me the, yeah every time i'm just like what, what's going on there's a pause <laughs> in the action um even though the cliffhangers are great um so we started watching those together and then he was amassing the target book collection and i can still remember in his bedroom he had this enormous like, bit like this uh bookcase you can see next to me here yeah full of doctor who books and do you know what my prized ones were the ones i always wanted to try and nick off him was those uh silver those sort of foil oh, ones oh, with yeah. two targets in them yeah they just always seem so bloody enticing. I think there's one with the Crotons in it, isn't it? Hang on. Yeah. You got it there. The Dominator. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just seeing that, you know, gives me a bit of a hard on. Uh-huh. I mean, I, yeah. Oh, God. All right. But, and also as well, he, because he was such a prolific reader and I wasn't reading at all at that stage. Um, he would tell me like he would read the books and we would watch the videos and he would tell me like the differences between the two and things like that wow. so it really was i think i've only realized this this year when i we got back in touch it really was all filtered sort of through his education of doctor mm-hmm. who for me and because he is such a smart fellow because he does see things he pulls things apart and he was doing it even at that age i can i can hear some of the sort of critiques he was given i think he sort of awoken something in me there as well of of not just watching it examining it yeah so we did we did a lot of our doctor who stuff together a lot of the the videos coming out together and then somewhere in the early night early to mid 90s 
so it would be 95, I came out and he was from an Irish Catholic family and I didn't think that he would be able to handle that. And I stopped talking to him. Oh. Right up until when we got in touch this year, 2023. So that's 95 to 23. Wow. And to, to and one of the first things he said to me when we got back in touch was, if I ever did anything to suggest that I couldn't handle the fact that you're gay, I apologise. Because my one regret in my life is losing the friendship we had from back then. Um, and obviously all based around Doctor Who. Um, and so we stopped talking. So then I started collecting the videos myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a dealer. <laughs> we all had a dealer, Joe. <laughs> uh, you might see his name pop up on Twitter occasionally on the hamster threads. His name was Darren McKay, and we met via, I think it was either TV Zone or Starburst pen pals. They had like a pen pal bit, and his name was in the back there. And you know me, I was sort of t- touting for business back then as well. I thought, oh, Darren McKay, that sounds a very sexy name. <laughs> um, anyway, we started writing to each other. And um, he would send me like short stories and things like this. And then he said, I've got, I can get copies of these Doctor Who stories. Um, Send me up a a long play VHS and I'll send you down whatever you want. And so they started coming. And I vividly remember getting all seven parts of the Silurians in terrible quality. Like, it was the terrible quality that made them special. Nine hundredth generation sorry, yeah. or something like that. I mean, they were dismally. It was like looking for a snowstorm, yeah. you know. But it, who cares? It was new Doctor mm-hmm. Who. Um, that one I vividly remember. I seem to remember watching the invasion. I don't know how he possibly would have been well, able I to had get the out of that as well. So there must have been copies around. Right, I must it was a ask him. Richard copy. I must ask him what he had to do to get those copies <laughs> as well, you know, from his BBC source. But um, yeah, so I started amassing just a, a big video collection. And do you know what? Some of my, I had a, I had a tough childhood and I'll sort of go into that in a second. But some of my happiest memories when I was a kid were being completely alone in my bedroom with my bookcase of doctor who videos and some point sort of just before midnight maybe it was always in the dead of night i'd select one doctor who tape out and i'd sit there watching it cross legs in front of the tv watching all of these worlds come to life and i can just vividly see myself feeling so safe and comfortable and i think i've been looking for those moments ever since you know in Doctor mm-hmm. Who, it's all changed now, and we examine it a lot more. And I'm part of a community, and all of this. It was just me then. I, I had Darren that I wrote to as a pen friend. I'd lost Paul. I don't know anyone else that was into Doctor Who. There was no Doctor Who fan groups locally. It was me and my VHS player and Doctor Who tapes, and I was just the happiest kid in the world in those moments. You know, and I, I think there is there's a lot in that. I, I certainly remember very happy times being in the house on my own watching Doctor Who in my yeah late childhood and sort of early teenage years being being left and just thinking and I'm just immersed in this world and you get caught up in it and I think there's some you're right there is something about watching some of those stories that take you back to that moment 
that you're trying to capture again. And sometimes it works. And sometimes you're right there and you can remember how it felt when you saw it that first time. When when I watched those early ones, I recently did a, a, a hamster on season 11. And when we were talking about the Time Warrior and Death to the Daleks, no matter how much people were criticising those stories, it was more Death to the Daleks than the Time Warrior. My inner child just would not listen. No. My inner child that loved those stories was going, you could tell me to your blue in the face as an adult. I know sort of objectively as an adult <laughs> this is a bit of tat but my seven year old child is there watching this VHS and just loving it yeah and I'll be really honest Doctor Who got me through some really terrible times in my child like I was I don't think it's like any great revelation for anyone to say they were bullied at school mm-hmm. um, but I, I was bullied to a point where I was bullied out of school for six months and I was too afraid to go in so I, I got hurt quite a few times and when I was 11, my dad went to prison. Um, and we found out about that the day the police raided our house. Wow. And I was surrounded by armed gunmen looking for three quarters of a million pounds worth of drugs in my house. And okay. I was bustled next door. And then the next thing I knew, we'd lost the house. Dad was in prison. Um, we had no money. We were shoved into a halfway house. Like things got. They literally went from bad to worse to worse. My mum couldn't handle the situation because she had been in a sorry, it's like therapy now, isn't it? She'd been in uh, she'd been in a situation where my dad was never uh, physically he never physically hurt her, but my dad used words as a weapon, right? And so she was a shell of a woman when he went to prison, and she literally had to rebuild herself. Now, what she rebuilt herself into was a very powerful woman indeed. She had the steel of bloody Jackie Tyler <laughs> within <laughs> about five years. But it, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough when your financial support, what you think is your emotional support, but is actually an emotional crux, vanishes. Yeah. Our lives basically, our lives fell apart. The 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 floor fell from underneath us. Uh, my sister, who was incredibly close to my dad, um, had a breakdown and did extreme violences towards me. And there was just lots of awful, terrible things going on that a child of eleven to thirteen should not be going through. And those Doctor Who stories, when they were on, were like a safe place for me to be and somewhere different to be. And I can vividly remember getting that trial of a Time Lord box set. I'm not sure I've seen much of Colin Baker until that point. And I sat there and I watched all, was it 13 episodes? I forget now. Thank you. All 13 episodes. And it's what, five hours? And for five hours, my whole world was fine. There was this amazing, colourful brash you know um, morally righteous man who is everything my dad wasn't there on the tv and he was you know fighting the time laws and fighting the thoros uh, on you know the mentors and it was just wonderful and colorful and exciting and full of twists and i was just absolutely captivated again you can tell me to your blue in the face trial of time laws the nadir of doctor who I don't get it. <laughs> to me, it was so kind to me. Yeah. At a time when I was at my, I've had lows since, that was my lowest low as a young man. And to have 
something with so much creativity and colour and imagination wrapping its arms around me and keeping me safe for five hours. Like that was the first gift Doctor Who gave to me, and mm-hmm. it's it's an incredible gift. I there's something about the Doctor that is something really special, isn't there? And then to find this Doctor at the time that you need him the most is yeah. is something really special. He was so vivid. He was so. It was, I think it was the coat. You know, I was just like, "Whoa, who is this?" It's like a punch <laughs> in the face, you know. But he's sort of being poetic with Perry. He's appalled when she's killed. He's going to take down the system. You know, I was so impressed. I was so impressed. But more important than anything, it just made me forget what was happening around me. You know. Then Then I found boys. (laughs) <laughs> well we all got there in the end <laughs> um, I think people might know this about me by now I, I keep it a, a great secret that I'm a gay man and Doctor Who never it never went on the back burner it was always something I still watch but it was sort of on a level playing field with cock at this point <laughs> <laughs> sort of when I was 15 uh-huh. 16 it was on a level playing field I was like right well, tonight is either win-win I'm either going to get laid or I'm going to watch Image of the Fendal you know one way or the other <laughs> it's great two great big phallic things in one night. <laughs> but weirdly enough like they were always separate things okay so I never I never met anybody in my social life so my friends and I never met anybody in my sexual life who was a Doctor Who fan, ever, for years and years mm-hmm. and years. I the mean, which, fir- which is kind of incredible considering how many gay fans there are. You'd have thought they'd <laughs> be over there somewhere. <laughs> no, well, no, I had, did have a period, though, where... I, I, I don't know if it was shame. I don't know what it was. I think my family, because my family used to take the piss out of Doctor Who when I was watching it a lot. They still did, you know, when the new series came back, I'd get phone calls. And sometimes at Christmas, uh, you know, we'd be watching a Christmas special and I'd be going, oh, God, don't look, you know, when the, the Doctor, the Widow, and the wardrobe is playing out or mm-hmm. something like that. But when people came over, I would, like, you know, for a lay, I'd hide my videos. <laughs> <laughs> and so all, all hint that I'm a Doctor Who fan would vanish. Because somehow I didn't see it as being particularly cool, even though it was my, there was no lover I was going to meet that was going to be more of a love to me than Doctor Who was. It's not unusual because I had a very serious boyfriend who, when I turned up to his flat the very first time, had all his Doctor Who VHSs under a sheet on the top of his wardrobe. (laughs) So it's nothing new, Joe. Don't worry. <laughs> there was, you know, I, I'm not sure what was the greater shame, you know, being gay or being a Doctor Who fan. They're probably level pegging. <laughs> <laughs> I never lost the love for it. It was, it would have been post, obviously, the TV movie. I found the BBC books. The eight. Ah, right. Yes. And that was my first new doctor who ever so mm-hmm. again people can tell me to their blue in the face that's a flawed range of books yes i know it is but i wasn't reading before then those books got me reading for the very first time like reading fiction on a regular basis and loving it and it, it opened a door to me reading 
everything and anything. You've seen much. I've got loads of books now. I love Yeah. That, mm-hmm. And it was those eight Doctor books that did it. But also just the fact that it was a continuing series of Doctor Who stories with running plots, you know, like the TV show, like, like, like the TV show is now. Um, and I was so obsessed with those books. I would take the day off when they came out and I'd be that little Herbert outside Waterstones banging on the window saying, <laughs> it's, the, it's the latest past Doctor Adventure out, you know? And they'd look at you like, oh, bless you, you little urchin. You know, here's your Doctor Who book. So I don't have any shame in doing that, weirdly enough. Um, but yeah, and so then my love really went on to the books and I started collecting the new adventures as well. Yeah. Um, I started getting the targets myself then because I did eventually end up with an entire target collection. We don't talk about what happened to that, do we? No, it, <laughs> that target collection ended up in landfill when I moved from uh, Crawley <gasps> to Eastbourne and my partner at the time, who did become my husband, uh, now ex-husband, uh, said to me that something had to go when we were moving. I wasn't going to lose the videos and I weren't going to lose the Ave Doctor books. Uh, which meant a lot to me. So unfortunately, the entire collection of targets <laughs> went in a black bean bag <laughs> in a biffer bin <laughs> and off away to landfill, I'm afraid. I know I broke a lot of hearts when I admitted that on track. <laughs> I broke my heart. I'm still fucking collecting uh-huh. the things now. Oh, sorry. Can I swear on this thing? <laughs> you can. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I am still fucking collecting them now. <laughs> and you and I have talked before about the great sort of archaeology of Doctor Who. And yes. I was buying all these fabulous non-fiction books as well um yeah because it's a golden age suddenly of oh, knowledge fabulous about Doctor Who coming, it, the it? classic serials have been examined from every angle you know yes up the mouth down the nose up the bum mm-hmm. every angle was being examined and my favorites were the how summers and walker's handbooks because they really examined the show in a way that i liked they pulled apart a particular story they went into yes. depth about oh, the yeah. ratings mm-hmm. um they had interview snippets with all the contributors like and it, it felt like the definitive exploration of that era of doctor who i yes. read them but, but then stuff like the discontinuity guide came out which used to make me howl with laughter i'd go to my videos and i'd go looking for all the goofs and the double entendres <laughs> and things which may have informed my podcast you know mm-hmm. that double entendre section um what else came out at the time there was just so much oh, the, license oh, denied howling do you remember that yes. license denied i did yeah i liked that i i always remember howling with laughter at the completely useless encyclopedia oh the St- is that steve lyons steve lyons oh, yeah so funny and mm-hmm. do you remember there was a there was a oh, it was blue you'll be out of note you'll know what this is i can't remember right. but it was a it was all cartoons i think it was by tim queen and dickie howitt oh yes it was um their 25th anniversary special it was so funny brilliant there was a bit i swear where the fourth doctor romana skipped out of reality or something and all the tardis was vanishing and they were like oh romana you know what's going on here (laughs) how do we exist oh no wait doctor we don't pop (laughs) they were gone (laughs) do you remember that yes oh yes and so slowly bigger on the inside it was called bigger on the inside oh man i've got yeah. it here somewhere i have to dig it out it was so so mm-hmm. funny um i think that was the one that had the at the ex companions bar you had bonnie bonnie langford and dodo at the bar smoking cigarettes and drinking gin going oh, i used to travel with the doctor too uh it was just 
the show was being looked at in every which way and I just gobbled it all up. So I was watching the videos, I was reading the books, I was definitely buying the magazine then as well, uh, which felt like it was sort of clinging on to a head show at the time. But again, that was examining the classic series in really interesting ways. And uh, any knowledge any wisdom I might bring to my own podcast or to yours now or whatever came from that period where I just immersed myself in Doctor mm-hmm. Who in a way that I don't think I'll ever examine anything in as much depth in my entire life ever again. No, well, I was exactly the same. All of that, any hint of new knowledge coming out was was just astonishing. And they found when they found the telesnaps and suddenly yeah. you've got these tiny, oh, God. tiny glimpses of all these stories that you never thought you would see anything of other than the publicity shots were suddenly something new and exciting. And... Do you think there was, there was ever a more spectacular high than when they discover the new episode? Oh yeah. I mean, that was, that was absolutely amazing. I remember it with tomb particularly. And then, um, when the lion arrived as well, and it was announced on the national lottery show, yeah. bizarrely, and and things like that, it's just yeah, amazing. Like, do you think you ever will? Do you think you'll ever examine a, a particular subject with the detail that you have, Doctor Who? I can't imagine it. I d- I don't think I've got time. <laughs> <laughs> You've <laughs> devoted. I've done four years in my head to this. You've four decades to this bullshit. (laughs) If I'd studied for my degree with the same same level and love as I'd done with with Doctor Who, I'd have aced it. (laughs) Can Can I say something absurdly profound, though? Yeah, of course. It... It made me a better person insofar as I think it instilled a certain morality in me and a morality that I have tested on occasion by making some very dodgy decisions in my life. But more importantly, it really instilled, because I did look at the direction, I looked at the writing, I looked at the actors, I listened to the music, I examined the books, it instilled a desire to take a piece of work and sort of dissect it critically and that has informed my entire life so is that where doc oho and his <laughs> review came from doc oh so, um i'll have to say before doc oho's came along uh, i found the big finish audios and yeah. <laughs> my love for the books waned a little because i gave my heart to big finish for a while and mm-hmm. you know, Colin, Colin, the Colin Renaissance, the Paul McGann Renaissance, you know, the fabulous companions, Evelyn Smythe, Hex, Charlie Pollard. I mean, those first 100 releases, it was an exciting time to be alive. It was to the point where India Fisher and people like that were being invited to comms as the companion of the moment, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing India and Paul on stage for the 40th anniversary and they were the draw you know it's it's incredible really so the the inception of docker her reviews came at another low point in my life so i had a lot of issues unresolved 
unspoken about from my childhood. And I sort of gave you a brief glimpse into what was happening there. I, I mean, the worst thing that happened was when I went to the prison and told my dad that I was gay and he disowned me. Uh, that's probably the lowest point of my entire life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then weirdly wanted a relationship with me when he came out of prison. I'm like, oh, you had a chance to be my dad three years ago and you failed. <laughs> you know? Anywho, um, and a lot of this stuff was all under the surface and as i went through my 20s <clears throat> i met a man called simon and good name. it's a good name and <laughs> it was a good bloke just like you mm-hmm. and um as kind and as generous as he was i still didn't say the things i needed to say i didn't deal with the things i needed to deal with and weird enough it was a doctor who story that broke me and this is going to sound absurd, but I got to the point where I was having <clears throat> quite extreme anxiety attacks. Um, I'd been to speak to the doctor about that, and I was given like beta blockers and things like that to calm my heart down. So like, all I needed to do was talk. I've learned that since. Yeah. Is all I needed to do was talk and cry and let it all out. And I wouldn't do it. I boxed it all in because that's sort of what my dad told me to do when I was yes. younger. So. And it never works. No, I was just being a good son and, and and not letting out my emotions. And I was listening to Death in Blackpool, which is a Lucy Miller audio in the Eighth Doctor run. And it at the end, where she breaks down, I was in the car with Simon. I was listening to that. She breaks down and just a wave of emotion hit me. I wrote, I've written a review on Doco Reviews about this. And I burst into tears and I couldn't stop crying. I don't think I'll stop crying for about a day. He drove me straight to my mum's. You know, that was like emergency call. <laughs> I didn't go mm-hmm. to work. And um, and I'm, again, it was Doctor Who that, <laughs> that helped me get where I needed to be. And uh, I took a year out of work. He basically earned enough money. He said, I don't need, I don't need you to work. So, stop working deal with whatever you need to deal with let's talk let's get your therapist do volunteer work do whatever you want to do that is going to help you put yourself back together again which is still one of the most generous things anyone has ever said to me i said he was a nice bloke and he was um and so i didn't work for a year so i needed a project and so i thought i'm gonna write doctor who reviews but i didn't want to write tv reviews because everyone was doing that I couldn't really see much about Big Finish online. And I really loved the audios by that point. So I said, I'm going to do just Big Finish audio reviews. And so I started doing that. And I go back and read those early ones now and just cringe. Even though, <laughs> you know, it's an art you hone writing Absolutely, critically. Yeah. Well, writing like that takes time and practice. But do you know what? Slowly, because I, I remember the first week i think i had like 30 views or something like that it meant the world to me that 30 people had had read a review that i'd written slowly but surely it built an audience uh because i was consistent with it i was i was i wasn't working so i'd listen to an audio a day and i'd write a review a day for nearly a year i brought out a review a day and so the numbers built and built and built and built. Now, Doctor Her Review sits at something like five and a half million reads, wow, which is John. phenomenal, you know. And, yeah. and it's still, I've, I've rarely updated it now 
and it's still being read by about a thousand people a day like so so uh, mind you you know i put in a lot of pictures sometimes i wonder if they're all just image searches but never mind you know <laughs> that's the voice in the back of my head telling me that mm-hmm. i'm sure some of it's to do with the critical analysis of course it is <laughs> but and but do you know what whilst this was all going on i still i still didn't have any doctor who friends i didn't know anyone online I didn't have anyone in my life. I kept it completely separate from my social life. And I had a lot of friends, you know, but just none of them were Doctor Who fans. They knew I was a Doctor Who fan, but I just didn't want them to have any part of it. And I I didn't want to share it, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Like, I wanted it to be mine. So for the longest time, Doctor Who was mine because I think I was 29 when I had that breakdown. So, you know, yes, that's a long time that's to only 14 to years. Share. <laughs> <laughs> Piss off the lot of you, it's mine. <laughs> but so you never went on forums or, or anything like that? I went on to Outpost Gallifrey and I wrote a post and I mistook the word prolific for populist. And I had five people within 10 minutes tell me what a fucking idiot i was and i never went back oh. i i was so scared to go back and i just thought mm-hmm. if that's fandom that was my view of fandom <laughs> I also i did i did take a step to go to a brighton doctor who meetup and there was a very levinish character there in charge of it and pretty much telling people what they will and won't think, and all, and I just like ran from that. Plus a load of horny gay men, so I was like, <laughs> "No, this ain't for me." You know, like, no. I'm in a relationship, and I don't uh-huh. want a fascist dictator telling me no. what I can and cannot like. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think I had a spectacularly ill-formed view of fandom. I thought it was yeah. just a bunch of know-it-alls. Well, I mean, you are a bunch of know-it-alls. Oh, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just like, just, I don't know, not very nice people. And and again, no. I will come back to that very selfish thing of just wanting it to be mine. Um, and you know who changed all of that? Who changed all of that? Jack Shanahan. Ah, oh, lovely Jack. He was an avid reader. He was a big Finnish listener. He was an avid reader of Doco Reviews. And he sent me a message saying i love your reviews i just wanted to say that i wasn't even going to answer and then i took a look and i thought oh he's so cute all right i'll say like (laughs) (laughs) i think he was 18 at that point i think he was 18 all right okay he's a very good looking he's a good looking bloke all right jack he's very sweet look anyway and I think he was very wary because I was an older gay man. And so we did have a very early conversation where we said, like, you know, I'm not interested. I'm not gay. All right. But I mean, he's in a relationship with a bloke now. So that's how that ended up. You know? <laughs> like, although his boyfriend's name's Justice. What a lovely name. Oh, but it's a very Doctor Who name. <laughs> I was wary going into it because I'd, I'd never had Doctor Who friends. He was very wary because he just thought I was some horny. 30 something <laughs> from across the pond because he was in he, Australia. He knew you straight off. <laughs> we messaged every single day for about five years. And I found somebody who was a Doctor Who fan that I shared every single part of my life with. And he shared every single part of his life with me. 
and it was a revelation like he was so empathetic so kind so smart for someone so young and he didn't agree with me on anything so we fight like cat and dog <laughs> mad fan of the Stephen Moffat era can you imagine the arguments oh, <laughs> I can remember we had a conversation where my other my other half sorry my ex there's a slip <laughs> my ex-husband was going out to the shops yeah and he was out five hours and when he left we was having an argument about the pertinent plot points of the big bang and then when he came back five hours later, we were still arguing about the, <laughs> the Big Bang. And he goes, you can't still be talking about that episode. I said, we've got a long way to go, Jack. <laughs> um, I just fell in love with him. I, like, not romantically, but he he was my best friend. Um, he wasn't somebody... I've never met him. I've never met him in person. No, which is incredible, isn't it? And we just talked about everything. He started buying the classic series because he was a new series fan. We just talked about everything. We talk into the night. He would, he's a, uh, a man of the theatre. He would act out whole plays for me wow. over Zoom calls, you know. He saw me through the ins and outs of the most complicated parts of my romantic life. I was polygamous for a year. So I was seeing two people and it was very complicated. I was in an open relationship for a year. That was very complicated. Every single time I struggled, he said, phone me. It didn't matter what time. It didn't matter when. I I, I cannot tell you. He's, a, he's just a diamond bloke, Jack. And that time is precious to me. Again, it's like me sitting there with the VHSs watching the TV, those like two in the morning, talking to Jack. It's probably twelve midday over there, just talking bullshit. I I could just see those those times. You know, we weren't even mm-hmm. looking at each other on the Zoom. We just have the Zoom on the bed, and we'd just be chatting and chatting. It didn't matter. We were chatting shit, chatting Doctor Who, talking about our lives. We were just together, and it was just precious time. And he was a Doctor Who fan, which was yeah. amazing, and which opened that door. Because then one day I said to him, <laughs> Jack, why don't we do a Doctor Who podcast together? Oh, my God. Because I'd found two podcasts that I just loved. Flight for Entirety and Two Watch Who. One of the hosts of Two Watch Who now lives in my house. And one of the hosts of Flight for Entirety... It's basically my internet husband. So, like, you know, I worked at my charm on both of them over the years. Um, but I just thought, my God, what a fun venture. And Jack, it's the most notorious thing he's ever said. It's infamous. So he went, who the hell is going to want to listen to us talking about Dr. Who? Mm-hmm. Um, and I went, well, you never know. Like, you know, and so we recorded an episode. Our first episode was all about Underworld. We've always been <laughs> no, at the top. I'm lying. Sorry. We started with the Reboss operation because we both loved it. And then we did Underworld as the second because we thought, no, we're not going to be obvious. And and we had five today, five glorious seasons talking about Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And you know this doing Trap One. You yeah. start to 
become aware of even more podcasts. You start to become aware there's a network of podcasts. Oh yeah, it's not mm-hmm. a clique because I think anybody's welcome, and that's that's Absolutely. my opinion. Anybody is welcome, except you know that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I heard you for you and Jack first because you interviewed Nathan. Mm. And that was the first time I heard your voice was that incredibly long interview mm. that got me through that lasted almost the whole of a very incredibly stupidly long commute to work where the traffic was awful. And I listened to almost the whole of that episode. I've been helping thought, you through quite a few commutes since then. Yeah, I? I know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> And I thought, oh, these two young fans, because I had no idea who you were. And you both sounded like you were in your 20s and fanboying over Nathan. And that was it. <laughs> in our 20s, you can stay. No, you can... <laughs> <laughs> How are we not in a relationship yet, honestly? <laughs> well, everyone thinks we are. <laughs> um, yeah, so so the 9 praise started up. And, you know, again, I think we had like 20 listeners or something in the first week. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was Jack, 20 people listened to us. Oh, my God. We were like squeeing like a pair of fangirls. <laughs> um, and then that, that started to build, just like Doc Ho, Doc Ho reviews. Till you know, several hundred people were listening to every episode. And we started having guests on. And we started appearing on other people's podcasts and both of those things were very fun we always wanted to make it about the two of us and then jack got a load of theater engagements right because he's a good actor and he was getting he was getting to direct like comedy reviews and things like this and he just didn't have the time like he was working all day and then he was acting all evening and so i was i said to him that jack i think i might start something on my own because I want to keep doing this because I've got the, the you know, the, God, you know, when you podcast, there's a buzz. Yeah. It's like taking a, it's like taking Vraxo in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I said that after the first time I recorded with you. It was just like, oh my God, I want to do this again. This is so much fun. <laughs> Think about like the best wank you've ever had. Yeah. Podcasting's <laughs> like that times a hundred, you know? When you're on a high and you're with great people and you're, you're talking about smart things and funny things, it's great. It's the best feeling in the world. So I decided to create my own podcast and the idea was to do Doctor Who commentaries on my own. That lasted two yeah. stories. <laughs> <laughs> when I realised... On your own. <laughs> I realised that that was a lot of work talking to yourself. How the fuck Toby Hodo does that? I've got no mm-hmm. idea. And uh, please remember, at this time, COVID had hit. So, so Hamster's only been going since 2020. It feels yeah. like it's been around forever, but it has only been going since 2020. Um, so COVID had hit. I couldn't go out. I was stuck at home. I couldn't see my friends. And suddenly this avenue opened where I could just talk to. That's why I wanted on a different guest for every episode, because I could then talk to as many people as I wanted to. And I, from that, that, that was a good decision. That was probably the best decision I made deliberately. Everything else that happened with Hamster has happened inadvertently or accidentally or nothing to do with me at all. <laughs> and, you know, I had, I think initially I had Jack on, I had Joe Lidster, Comrade Westmass, 
Um, so I, you know, some sort of Doctor Who writers, some people yeah. that had acted mm-hmm. in Big Finishes. Johnny Morris came on early. Johnny Morris did one early, yep. Um, Nathan obviously jumped in fairly early. And then somewhere around sort of hmm, 20 or so, uh, a young man, a handsome young man, called Simon Hart came on <laughs> to talk about his favourite story, The Leisure Hive. And we, you and me, had only shared a couple of messages on Twitter. Yeah, literally. We'd, we'd had not, I'd, I'd followed you a little bit by then, but not a lot on Twitter, not for very long. And then suddenly... Little did I know that that trip to Argolis would lead to one of the great loves of my life. Well, yeah, well, it was very unexpected for both of us. And people, when it went out, it went out pretty quickly, I seem to recall. Yeah, because, because I think you were quite buzz. We were quite buzzy about it as we did it. And well, at the end, I didn't have a lot of material. I was like, record, release, record, <laughs> release. You know? uh-huh. Everyone was going, my God, it's like you've known each other for bloody years. Yeah. And we talked for 10 minutes before we recorded. Yeah. And that was it. And it was just like an instant. And just the fact that other people could sense that afterwards as well. But I just like, yeah. I sensed a bit of a kindred spirit in you we won't go into the ins and outs but you and i were going through similar things in our personal life we didn't know at the time no we didn't through conversations we suddenly start to realize that our lives were having spectacular parallels Uh but just somebody kind somebody safe somebody Mm -hmm. smart like i'm not just going to sit here and stroke your ego but what came out of that recording was and I say this to you and Fraser all the time, we'll get to him in a minute, mm-hmm. was two friendships. I wasn't in touch with my family at that time. The most consistent relationships I had in my life because I even lost a partner and gained a partner in that time. And my one consistency in my life was that these two incredible Doctor Who fans were going to say good morning to me every single morning. And the security that brought me was you you cannot underestimate it no no absolutely not it was something so unexpected to come out of chatting about the leisure oh, no. <laughs> you know, of, of all things i had a similar thing where i just came away thinking this is someone i would really like to get to know but i don't know why <laughs> it's just like oh okay excuse me it's because i was smoking hot all right <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I recently told each other over a drink that we're the last people we'd want to sleep with. <laughs> yeah, you know, no one would believe it, but but it's true. But given how sorry, sorry, I'm sorry to say this on your own podcast, but given mm-hmm. how you know I fucked half the south of England and you fucked most of Doctor Who fandom, how the two of us have not slept together to this point is unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> well, I suppose so. <laughs> two, you know what? As a result. It's one of the closest relationships I've got, you know, and it's one Mm -hmm. I trust explicitly. I trust it implicitly. Yeah, and um, I mean, it was within a couple of months of us podcasting that I invited myself down to visit you. You I just wanted to come and and say hello in person. Yeah, and I can remember that day because I was so nervous that when you got uh out of the car, I was perspiring terribly, very traumatic. I've never had a real... I think I was... You know, I live in... Not a hovel, but I live in 
yeah, well, I work in retail. I don't owe a lot of money. I live in a, a, a humble home. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't want him to come here and see me and think, oh, this is tramp, you know. <laughs> and you weren't well, at, all. at all. You were so lovely. No. You were so. You were very tall. You were like a fucking behemoth. <laughs> yeah, that always takes everyone by like, surprise. Jesus, that's all right. Because we went out on a <laughs> we went out on a sunny day, so you were a pretty good sunshade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the joy of being a Doctor Who fan is suddenly meeting other Doctor Who fans. I think yeah. The thing I've the thing I've learned is it is the great connector, and through Hamster, which has now I think it's tipped a hundred guests now, which is astonishing, you know. And just as a quick side note, when I said you know sort of accidental things that have happened via Hamster, you know the secret marketing tool of Hamster is you have all those different guests on each time. They've all got their own social media audience. So they do all the fucking marketing for you. It's exactly. Great. Just keep asking more people on your podcast, people. They do all the work for you. I had such a brilliant reaction to the Leisure Hive commentary that that brought in lots of people who were suddenly interested in talking to you. And when we were, I remember also when we were recording the Invasion of the Dinosaurs commentary, I happened to see someone had retweeted a picture of someone who had knitted the characters oh, from, Lucy from Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Yeah. And then we found Lucy through that, you know? And it just... All these all these connections come out of, of all of this. What happened was, slowly but surely, I, I had people back on again and again and again. Other people became aware of the podcast online. People were jumping in and enjoying the content and enjoying the discussion. It suddenly became this very safe place on a very toxic platform to give your opinion, whether people agreed with you or not. And nobody was mm-hmm. going to shoot you down. Everyone was going to listen and, and accept the challenge and discuss things. And a community emerged out yeah. of it, which I didn't coin. I don't know who coined that bloody ridiculous name, the Ham Fam. Um, I think it might have been I think it might have been Fraser. Him, well, we'll get to him in a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and but, uh, but, but yeah, yeah, the Ham Fam emerged, which to this day is building and building and building. Like, mm-hmm. I, tr- I try not to focus too much on numbers. Yeah. Because I don't think it's very healthy. But you do have a look. And the show is built. And, you know, last year it was 170-odd percent up on the previous year in terms of streams. So (laughs) the the listenership is building. Uh, I think the exposure is building. But the the community is building as well. You know? And you get people jumping in on the live ones. You get people that are meeting up away from the podcast. Yes. Forming friendships with each other, like I couldn't foresee any of this. No, and I love the way when someone new comes along, everybody embraces say, them. Welcome, welcome to the Ham Fam. Oh, it's good to have you here with us at last, or or hello, or or whatever. Well, you know, it's Fraser always thing. posts that tweet of the cult member going, "Join us, join." What? <laughs> <laughs> well, but what's happened is there. There is a. I found my community. It took me forty years, but I found my community completely accidentally, and it's just like I started it. But it's just the most wonderful thing to be a part of. And 
I, I hope nobody feels excluded. Anyone can jump in at any time. Um, anyone can come on. Anyone who's expressed an interest, I'll have them on. Because I think everyone's got something to say. Absolutely. Everyone has an opinion. I even chose to have a, a, a fella from Newcastle on, right? To talk no. about the Space Museum, of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, his name was Fraser Grigory. And what what we didn't foresee is that you absolutely can have a three-way relation, a three-way relationship, a three-way friendship, bloody relationship. I'm talking about licking his ass all the time. And I, a three-way, a three-way friendship where nobody feels excluded, where nobody takes charge, where everybody supports each other. This sounds fucking sweet. This must sound so indulgent for people listening, but it's a mini community within this massive community that brings so much stability to me. And me, at a really tempestuous time in my life, it was just there, and I could tell you both anything and rant and rave at you both, and you'd tell me to shut up or pull myself together or whatever, but you were there at the worst of times and the best of times. And absolutely nobody is perfect. I'm overly dramatic, you know, <laughs> Fraser's fucking sarky, and yeah, you know... <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of your flaw. Maybe you're too nice sometimes. <laughs> probably, I'm probably too nice for my own good, but you tell me. But it, it's, it's never an issue. None of those things are ever an issue. No. We sort of accept each other as we are. And, of course, we don't agree on anything. That's oh, the best okay. thing about a freeway friendship, <laughs> is that there's always two versus one. But you don't know who yeah. the two are going to be. You drop the opinion, and then you see who goes through it. Yeah, well, it's... It's very much the same relationship I have with my brother and sister because we were always free, and naturally, it's all—it's very rarely that the three of you are in accord. It's always two ganging up on the other one. Oh, sorry. Like I—I I don't have a relationship with my brother, but that fell apart no. years ago for various reasons. You guys are my brothers. Like you, you <laughs> fulfil those roles absolutely, and I think I've said that before about being family, and, and I mean it. It, and it's true. Yeah, it is. And I think we both felt it when we met Fraser finally. We've never all all three of us been in the same room together. And then that just clicked. But, it's it's yeah. It's, it's astonishing. Like, yeah. But I've you know, I've seen it happen far and wide, you know. I saw like Stephen B and Nathan met in person, click. Yeah. I saw Mark Doddick and Dan Hollingsworth meet in person, click. Like it yeah. is it's astonishing. This show, it's how it binds people in a positive way. It is amazing. It transcends the show itself. Yeah. Which it, is, it you know, really we've does. spent very little time talking about, actually talking about Doctor Who, because that's what we normally do. Obviously, we're not doing yeah, that today. Exactly. Yeah, we could do that anytime. <laughs> but the, the sort of the wave of, oh, I feel sorry for people that don't have this. No, they feel sorry for me because I love it. I feel sorry for them because yeah, of all the things they, I've detailed today they don't have in their lives exactly and i mean i don't know how much you know but there were a couple of people who spoke to me about going on to hamster and being really really nervous about it and they said well what do i do i said you just trust joe because he will ask you something when you least expect it and when you most need it he will know and they got through and they came away saying oh my god that was brilliant the one (laughs) compliment i'll take from you is I can put people at ease. 
You do when they're and nervous because every single person that's been on has said that they've all yeah. been nervous. When even Nathan was nervous when he first came on, yeah. And mm-hmm. everybody said, you know what? It just felt like we've been mates for ten years. You know, uh-huh. you know the bizarre thing was I wasn't nervous at all because when I did did the leisure life before, if nothing else, I know this story <laughs> inside out. I have things to say, and this is not going to be a problem. <laughs> so please don't listen to my episode of Strictly Come Hamster on season 18. Please. I'm, I'm braced. <laughs> no, there's a lot in there you'll love. Uh-huh. There's a few I'm things sure. you won't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so obviously I st- this all started by me saying that the, the ham fam was the thing I wanted to put into the library of impossible things. What a great name. Mm-hmm. Uh, hang on. Isn't that from human nature and family of blood? I don't think so. Oh no. That's the, what's the book called in that? Oh, that's probably the journal. The journal. And <laughs> <laughs> just it slightly. It doesn't have to be an original idea. Paul Cornell will be in touch shortly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's that, Paul? Yeah, I think we can get five grand out of him. Um, no, no, I want to put the Ham Fam in as my thing. It's because, and I've sort of detailed the journey of getting there and the hardships of getting there. Mm-hmm. And I feel I just had to let go of being a selfish git and i'm <laughs> wanting this thing to myself because the thing i've learned and i think and, and and this is what everybody goes through i've seen people go through this on hamster and on other podcasts as well is that you come with your view of doctor who your opinions on stories eras doctors whatever yeah and you're one of two people you're willing to accept the challenge of another opinion or you're mm-hmm. not. And if you're not, then don't podcast. What is the point? You're just no. going to dictate and lecture people. If you are, you have a dialogue and you both take something away from it. Yeah, exactly. And you can come away with a new admiration for something that you didn't expect to. Or come away thinking less of something that you didn't expect to. And can I say, like, this is a bit indulgent now, but the friendships are astonishing. The podcast is so much fun to do. Talking about Doctor Who is the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. The The ultimate joy of doing all of this is mm-hmm. the messages I get from people, and I've had quite a lot now, from people that say, oh, I'm going for a really shit time at the moment, and I listen to your podcast, and it makes me feel better. It's doing exactly what Doctor Who did to me, back in the day and yeah. that means the world to me the fact that someone will reach out and say that is astonishing the fact is having that impact on a person that justifies its existence that's incredible isn't it and that's a really really fantastic thing yeah it's it's it, it moves me mm-hmm. i don't cry very often but no. it almost mm-hmm. moves me to tears that sounds like a faint praise but that's that's quite a big praise. it's a special thing and this is this is something that people who aren't Doctor Who fans don't know about Doctor Who, that it does this. And I've I've seen it time and again with friendships I've formed just because of this silly show, you know, and and things that have happened just because we both happen to like Doctor Who. I remember saying to somebody at work a couple of years ago when I worked at Seaside, do you remember Seaside? Oh, I remember, yes. Stabfest <laughs> City, you know, where you yeah. were facing the threat of death every day. Oh, I was, sorry, not you. 
And I remember saying to somebody, I do a podcast. And they said, oh, what on? I said, Doctor Who. And they just looked me up and down with a sort of look of disgust and went, why? And I'll tell you why. Because it has completely transformed my life. I met my partner, who is the most wonderful man I've ever met through Doctor Who podcasting. My best friends I have met through podcasting you know my support mechanism they're my family now i've met through podcasting and and just just the wealth of good times that i've had in the last three years doing this thing which is why i'll always say to anybody who says to themselves oh you know what do i have to say yeah pick up a mic you might surprise yourself and you might surprise how be surprised how transformative doing that is because jack shanahan said to me one day who the hell is going to want to listen to us talk about doctor who and because i didn't listen to him sorry jack (laughs) (laughs) my life has been enriched in so many ways so yeah so someone once asked me the question and said what would your life be like without doctor who in it and i just said i have no idea because it's been there for as long as i i can remember so I don't know who I would be without Doctor Who because it formed me. My answer to that question is Doctor Who provided a safe haven when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. It provided me with so much comfort when I was a teenager. You know, it was a safe place to be in my bedroom watching them. It provided me a method of showing to my partner what turbulent like emotional turbulence i was going through at one point and then it gave me this enormous community of friends i mean it's a tv show for fuck's sake and it's given me all those things it's supported me throughout my life the only thing i've got tattooed on my body is a tardis on my arm it's bloody (laughs) enormous i got it done in columbia (laughs) they said to me si three things yeah before yeah. going out to Colombia, <laughs> no drugs, no needles, and no semen, and I didn't listen to any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still with us, so you know I'm still here. Yeah. But I, I, it's the only thing I would put on my body because it's the one constant in my life from when I was very, very young to now, and and just how Darren McKay's back in my life, Paul Quinn's back in my life, how those yeah. connections you must, I mean you know everybody, in, in, and that's the wonderful thing, Yeah, apart from giving them all a blowy, you've had friendships with, <laughs> you know, most of gay Doctor Who fandom are probably half, yeah, half I've, of straight I've fandom too I'm people, still not yeah. surprised mm-hmm. um, oh you agree with that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, you must have people that sort of go and then come back is this thing that just constantly ties us together yeah i had a thing at the bfi um when i went for the five did you say thing or fling thing okay you need to be specific (laughs) when talking to me where i looked up at the bar and i saw someone that i hadn't seen for 25 years and it's just like john oh my god hello (laughs) it was just like and it was just Oh, Cy! He said, you've got grey! <laughs> <laughs> You're still enormous. Mm-hmm. You know, and it had, I hadn't seen him since 1998, so it's actually nearly, you know, 
25 years, you know, it, it's really bizarre. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> you know? So nowadays, you know, we're rubbing shoulders with people we never would have met. No. Like, I, you, you know. You have your friendship with Toby. Toby Haydock, you know, um, yeah. astonishing. You know, I, I, my once nemesis, Gary Russell and I. Yeah, absolutely. Talk. <laughs> now. Um, but not just that, like, you know, uh, lawyers out in the States, you know. Yeah. Um, university lecturers in Australia, mm-hmm. you know, people in the business, uh, producers like Dylan Reese. Like, I, I would never, I'm a shop worker in Eastbourne. Yeah? yeah, I would never meet these people under any other circumstances, and I can't—I sort of pinch myself that these are people that desire to spend time with me because of this shared love we have. Yes. Because of this, we went to the premiere of the Doctor Who <laughs> Christmas, <laughs> you know, which is just like insane. For one night only, we were A-listers. We were. <laughs> Unfortunately, the second we left, we were back to being Z-listers again. Yeah. But never mind. The we walked out that door, it was all gone. We had our moment, didn't we? What a night! <laughs> and that was all because of this. Yeah, just with somebody talking. in the business who'd listened to the podcast, who'd listened to you, who yeah. reached out yeah. and said, "I've got these tickets." And you know, things like that keep happening. It, yeah. It's astonishing, Doctor Who. It's the gift that keeps on giving, you know. And I my life would be a lot emptier without it. Doctor Who is just under my skin. It it informs who I am, how I think, and who I live my life with. That sounds crazy, but it's not. It is. Mm -hmm. it's, It's the most potent thing. And as well as being this awesome engine of storytelling, this relentless sort of stream of creativity that just doesn't stop even when they stopped it the more doctor who came out in that time than ever did when it was on the screen you know like it just it just rolls on and on and on and for every once and future we get a mad dogs and englishman hooray you know so there's good times and there's bad times with the quality of stuff but Jesus just gives us more of an excuse to argue, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think it's safe to say Doctor Who's had a huge impact on your life, Joe. The same as the rest of us. Yeah. It, uh, in I didn't think I'd be able to explain it. I think I might have done all right there. I think you did good. Yeah. I. I it's. It's so profound. Uh, you know. It's. It's almost like. It's almost like in your soul, isn't it? Yeah. You know? When is. we die, we're going to float off to... <laughs> <laughs> and just the echoes of our voices will remain. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. That episode of The Timeless Children will still be out long after we're gone. <laughs> and Fraser will still be wrong. <laughs> but I think... As of right now, as of, as of this moment, the most important thing Doctor Who ever gave to me was four or five people that are in my life right now that I consider my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel blessed, you know, Nathan, you, Fraser, Mark, 
I should have put Mark first. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that in the edit. It's fine. <laughs> you know, and that's not to to denigrate anybody else that's part of this community. Mm-hmm. But you know, you it just happens naturally that you you do get close to some, some people, people that you just get you close to. Just yeah. click with, like we said earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that to me makes me feel like the the luckiest man in the world. And I thank my lucky stars that I made a stupid suggestion just so that I could do another hamster of saying me and Fraser should come and do one with you to out positive you and look where that got us. And it was just a silly joke. <laughs> and do you know what's the weird thing about Fraser? Right. <laughs> well, I know many weird things about well, Fraser. Yeah, mostly his <laughs> fucking opinions most of the time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Where did he put Megloss 27th or something? <laughs> no, that was the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Yes. Madness. <laughs> Honestly, wonder what, what mind altering drugs he'd taken when he wrote that entry. <laughs> Sorry. No. Um, <laughs> is you and I gay? He's straight. As much as I yeah. joke to the contrary, he's the most sensitive man I know. Absolutely. By a mile. And the most empathetic man I know as well. And the one who just knows what to say. At the right moment. I've never known a heterosexual man who is so in tune with his feelings. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are lucky. We're lucky to have found him. We are. You're still a prat, but... (laughs) 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 He's still wrong on a spectacular basis. But good, well, good to know change. him. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm not sure. Like I mean, you know, we've detailed on hamster stories we love, books we like, audios yeah. we love, you know. But for now, it's it's the people, and yeah. it took me a long time to get here. But I'm glad I got here, and I am too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm going to have to build a new extension to fit the whole of the ham fam in. And now I'm going to have the expense of feeding them and clothing them and making them drink. And, and the constant arguments about which story to watch yeah, will sorry keep about me that. entertained and busy for, for the rest of my life. The army are moving in tomorrow. They're just mm-hmm. packing as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I will put the ham fam in next to a painting of Alice in Wonderland by fish person Mary Macmillan <laughs> into their library of impossible things. And I just want to say thank you so much, Joe, for coming and chatting and being so honest and it was a wonderful chat thank you very much for being a wonderful human being oh joe (laughs) and i hope you will join us again when someone else will be coming to the library and we'll see what object they bring along and what stories they bring of how doctor who's affected their life yeah beat that you get (laughs) (laughs) and i'll cut it there (laughs) 